Hi, this is Lisa, and you are listening to I Love That Movie. This podcast is for movie lovers. It's not an unbiased opinion. It's not a straightforward review. It's just a couple people talking about a movie that they love. The format is each week I have a guest, and that guest and I discuss a movie that they love, something they're obsessed with, something they connect with. We'll talk about the plot, the director, and the actors, but we'll also talk about the personal connection my guest has with that movie. So if that sounds like something you want to listen to, keep listening. And if you want to catch up with me on Twitter, you can find me at ILTM Podcast. I'm also on Instagram at I Love That Movie Podcast. And we have a Patreon. Uh, the show is always free, but if you want to support us on there, you can. Uh, basically, for as little as a dollar a month, you get a bonus episode. Uh, right now, we're covering Loki, although by the time you hear this, you've probably heard the final covering episode of that um or we might be a week behind actually but uh we cover that there we also have talked about wandavision the mandalorian and just anything else that i happen to be watching that week and the money goes to support the show so um i do want to take a moment to thank um our top patrons one of them is here today <laughs> so they're chris Falga, jeff widman philip barker and michael cross thank you guys so much for keeping the lights on um and if you like what you hear today please subscribe and rate the show it does help new listeners find us um, I've got a returning guest that you've heard many times <laughs> on the show. And I have Chris Balga from the Marvel Alliance and World's Finest True Believers podcast. Hey, Lisa. Thanks for having me back. Yes. Um, you know, uh, it's been a little while. You're a busy man with your with your two uh, podcasts. Why don't you, in case people haven't heard you on the show, I mean, I don't know how they've got this far. They haven't heard you yet. <laughs> in, case, in case this is their first episode ever, uh, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit? Yeah, my name is Chris Balga. Um, by day, I'm a assistant principal for high school in North Carolina. And uh, basically, by night, I do podcasts, as, as you said, uh, do two shows on the Geek Ultimate Alliance Network, uh, World's Finest True Believers, which you've been a guest on a few times, where a guest comes on and they select a comic book arc or graphic novel from any publisher, and we do deep dive into it. And then Marvel Alliance, uh, myself and my co-host Brent, who's uh, part of Squadcast Media, uh, we basically go over everything Marvel. So we do, you know, we've been in the middle of uh, doing uh, <laughs> episode breakdowns of Loki, we're gonna get a little <laughs> break. We just right did. <laughs> it, it's all been Loki. We just did our uh, Black Widow review when it dropped oh, uh, last week, and um, yeah, so we will have a little break after Loki and go straight into What If. And uh, yeah, it's right. a good time to be a Marvel fan. It really is. Um, I find it ironic that I used to be like DC only, and I feel like I talk exclusively about marvel or at least like i should rename it the disney podcast because i feel like either we're covering a disney movie or we're talking about a disney show but uh today's a little different um as i as i've mentioned previously on other episodes my guests do choose the movie so what movie did you pick to talk about today yeah uh talk we're talking about the prestige uh with uh, directed by christopher nolan and starring hugh jackman christian bale scarlett johansson michael Caine, an all-star cast 
It is a huge cast. And to be honest with you, when I revisit this, uh, I forget. Like, you know, some time goes by and in my memory, I'm like, oh, yeah, that that Christopher Nolan film. There's, you know, it's about magicians. Like, I feel like it has been so long since I've watched it again. I know that I love it, but I was actually surprised by the cast a little bit. I was like, oh, yeah, like all these people are in it. Um, it is a star-studded cast, and it's, uh, you know, I miss kind of this era of Nolan, honestly, a little bit, um, but I don't want to get too far into it. I'm, I'm already diving in. So uh, <laughs> this movie came out in 2006. Uh, let me read the synopsis really quick. I do want to give a fair warning out there. Unlike some shows, I, I'm not very good at the spoiler-free stuff. Um, we're going to talk about it. Um, there's plenty to spoil. So I would highly recommend that you pause this episode and go back and watch the movie. And if you're still here, well, watch, oh, watch it a few times because you're going to see some <laughs> things. If you've never seen it, that you're going to say, did I just see that? And again, yes. as the tagline goes, are you watching closely? Exactly. It's definitely a movie that rewards revisiting. And it's almost impossible to watch this and not just restart it. So <laughs> go back and watch it one or two or three times and then uh, come back and hear the the summary. So this is a period thriller set in Edwardian London where two rival magicians who were partners until the tragic death of an assistant during a show feud bitterly after one of them performs the ultimate magic trick, teleportation. His rival tries desperately to uncover the secret of his routine, experimenting with dangerous new science as his quest takes him to the brink of insanity and jeopardizes the lives of everyone around the pair. This is a spoiler-filled synopsis, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> it happens. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's kind of one of those things, like, if you talk about what this movie's about, you're going to say what happens. And, like, you yeah, know, there's a lot of mystery to it. It's it very tough. It, it'd be like this simple non-spoiler is like we have two rival magicians. <laughs> yeah. And something happens. <laughs> but yes, thing, um, things ensue. <laughs> yeah. Again, we're assuming you've seen this movie before. So hopefully you're still with us and you're not angry at me uh, for ruining it. But uh, I did want to spit out a couple of quick facts about this film. Uh, the first one that I have is that the editing includes 146 time jump cuts in which the next shot either flashes back or skips ahead to another time period of the storyline. This averages to almost one timeline jump per minute of the movie. Yeah, that, that <laughs> kind of tracks. They, it, it, it's, it's really cause Nolan, I'm trying to think of even other films that have jumps in time. Like you just kind of have to understand and, put in your head how many years months have passed between like events and so i think that's some people like that some people don't i don't think that distracts from the film at all it's no. just um, i i just assume and see time has passed and it doesn't really affect me really well plus he's <clears throat> he's doing a little sleight of hand here as well where um unintended yes <laughs> that time it was intended um but yeah you know he's showing us parts of the film out of order on purpose because it really throws us off. We think some parts, I think there's a scene in the beginning of the movie that you think is chronologically in the beginning, but you find out is actually at the end. And um, <clears throat> so there's a lot of things like that in this film where you are disoriented with the timeline on purpose. And it's in retrospect that you realize that that's happened to you. But yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, I said it makes sense. Yeah, um, the the 
in the hands vanishing birdcage uh, trick was developed and performed successfully for many years by Harry Blackstone's um, his son, Harry Blackstone Jr. also performed the trick successfully for many years. That is a horrifying scene <laughs> with that birdcage thing. Yeah. Um, so I thought that was an interesting fact. You know, the fact that they took some real tricks from back then uh, and kind of showed us how they work. And um, I don't know, like that one freaked me out. So to hear that it was performed correctly and in actually for me for years made me feel a little better. Cause that, that part of the movie always makes me cringe. <laughs> so many birds, so many birds. I know the pet, the pet of people were very upset. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so the, the third thing that I have is that Alfred Borden takes on the stage name, the professor. Uh, this is a nickname that was given to many magicians at the time, professor Hoffman, professor Otter Herman, professor Toucan, um, most notably, Di Vernon bore the nickname, and many consider him to be the best of the modern day and of slight magician. I did wonder about that in the movie. I hadn't heard that title, The Professor. I mean, it kind of makes sense, but I liked that background. There was also one other thing that I didn't include uh, on here, but the, the well, in the movie, he's Chinese, um, the magician. In real life, yes. that was a British man pretending to be Chinese, but like for his whole career until he like died and he died on stage being shot. So a lot of inspiration oh. like taken from from his life. But um, that was another well, aspect. It's, um, well, it's also like definitely, um, you know, Christian Bale is known to be very method in it, in his own sure. acting at that point. So, you know, it's kind of like you, you take it too far and we can point to other actors and actresses that <laughs> do the method way at take it too far. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But it's like, you know, it's interesting that aspect of the movie is, is also another hint, you know, th mm -hmm. there's that part in the movie where, uh, where Christian Bale says his, his character says, wow, he's like dedicated to this trick and it's like he's in it for the, the long haul, his whole life. You know, again, a little bit of a clue right there that we don't really see until we've seen the movie a few times. But yeah, you're right. It also echoes Christian Bale's real life <laughs> where yeah. he can be a little too intense. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, so those were some of my quick facts. Uh, did you have any that you wanted to share as well? Yeah, when I first saw this movie, I didn't realize until I saw the credits that it was based on a book by the same name. Um, right, yeah. Yeah, uh, the author's name is Christopher Priest, and it came out in 1995. I thought that that was interesting. I've never gotten a chance to read the book. Um, interesting enough, I, how much I love this movie, apparently, say what you say about Rotten Tomatoes, apparently it's it's uh, lowest his lowest uh, rated movie. Well, um, I think it, it was yeah. since it's since Interstellar, it, like it used to be, and then Interstellar <laughs> took over at that point. But again, it's Rotten Tomatoes. I just thought that was interesting because of how much I do love this movie. I feel the same way, and I noticed through researching this that there is some online discourse about the ending. Uh, mm -hmm. For some people, the ending is a total deal breaker. Um, and then for other people, it's a genius. And I think like this film is a little bit different from some of his others because, I mean, minus the, I guess, Tesla machine, there's not like all this fantastic blockbuster, you know, level action in it. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, that's something like Inception or Batman or, you know, Interstellar, a lot of the other films have. So I think that kind of plays into it. It's It's more of a like, 
psychological thriller, but you know, there is a twist that there's real quote unquote magic happening. Um, and I think so, that doesn't sit right with some people for, for whatever reason. Yeah. Um, thought this was interesting that, uh, David, the great David Bowie, uh, initially declined the role of Nikola Tesla when it was offered to him. So Christopher Nolan uh, flew out there in person to tell him that he was really the only person he imagined for the role and that uh, his larger than life persona would make the idea of Tesla building a, a device believable. Uh, Upon hearing this, David, David Bowie changed his mind and took the role. And that was when I saw him, like when we first get introduced to Nikola Tesla, you know, and you see, is it, Oh my God, that's David Bowie. That yeah, is exactly. I it, kind of forgot he was in this, to be honest. <laughs> like, oh yeah. I mean, and what's it, but, weird is be, I've seen this movie so many times, but I feel like it's been a few since I've seen it, like a few years. And so it's yeah. it's just it, the effect of seeing David Bowie on the screen is like, what you know? So totally agree with him. Perfect casting in that regard. And, and just his cadence and his presence on there. I mean, I've never. You know, obviously Nikola Tesla way before my time, but like <laughs> I I could buy into the idea of like, man, uh, I can believe that he is the, he is portraying very much the correct nature of Nikola Tesla based on things I, I, I've studied about about him as as an inventor. Um, you know, based on the book, there's lots of little little things that um that we see uh, in the novel, the. Borden and Angier's rivalry actually began when Borden wrecks a fake seance session Angier is conducting, injuring but not killing his wife in the process. Oh, gotcha. But that visual that ties, you know, mm-hmm. her dying and then him at the end, even breaking the glass, it's oh, so God, yeah. beautiful that I can see why they made that change. Yeah, and definitely something I want to bring up when we get to the end of this whole thing is kind of the themes that are, are looked at, like obsession, secrecy, and sacrifice. Yeah, yeah look, absolutely. Look at, um, those, but, but yeah. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned the cast and we already talked a little bit about, you know, this guy, this has Christian Bale, Hugh Jackman, Scarlett Johansson, Michael Caine, David Bowie, Andy Serkis, another one that I kind of forgot. Yes, was in it. I, 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 I completely forgot. And when he walked on screen, I said, oh, my God, I, you know, he's he's taken on such a more larger than life role. I'd forgotten those times that we don't see him in mocap. Exactly. <laughs> it, it, it is a real treat. Yes. And I think the only person that I almost wish that I got more of in this movie, and that could be because I just saw Black Widow, was Scarlett Johansson. Because I feel like this was very early on in her career. Um, mm-hmm. And I feel like she's a little underutilized in the film. Now, I understand that, you know, Alfred and Robert are the main characters, but I just think when you hire her, it's, it feels like you could get more out of that. Not to say she didn't do a bad job um, or that she did a bad job. Cause she's, she's great in it. I just, she's probably the only one out of this cast that I'm like, almost wish I got more of her, but you know, other, other than that, yeah, and perfect I, casting. And I think Angier's wife, uh, I think her first name Piper, the actress's oh, name. Oh, Piper Parabo. Yes, yes, there we go. I remember the first time I saw her was in Coyote Ugly, but she, in her short time on screen, she, you know, it, it's just very interesting playing off her versus Scarlett Johansson. Yes, character. yes, because Scarlett Johansson yeah. definitely, her character has more agency, I think, more mm-hmm. confidence in herself, um, and more of a grip on who 
who Alfred really is, I think. Yes. <laughs> and so, yeah, they're definitely a huge contrast. And, and you're right. Piper gets a lot to do with the small screen time that she has. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, Michael Caine playing an almost Alfred type role in this movie <laughs> with Batman, it feels like sometimes. Um, yeah. It, yeah. And especially just going back to, um, you know, when we get Nikola Tesla and then the Edison thing, it's like it is complete foil for angie or and, and borden and because of okay, the I, rivalry i don't know if you thought about this watching this but i okay so <laughs> watching this again i was like wow i can really see this movie as a precursor to uh um what's that movie called with hugh jackman um oh i can really see this as a precursor to uh the greatest showman like, oh yeah isn't that weird like that watching movie. it uh i was like i mean he's very like obviously hugh jackman's always very charismatic but mm-hmm. as as angier he gives me bar uh you know pt barnum vibes <laughs> could also be oh, the setting yeah very but, much yeah i just think that's really interesting to go back and and see this and and since that movie's been out so i guess at the very least i hadn't watched this since that movie came out so <laughs> that was interesting to go back and think about <clears throat> but um okay well let's talk a little bit about um well we already mentioned you know christopher nolan and uh we've talked about him a lot on this show in fact though i'm, I'm still kind of surprised that you know in the past four years we haven't gotten to this one yet <laughs> so that's I'm another reason why <laughs> i'm so happy you chose it uh yeah i mean i'm a i'm a big christopher nolan fan uh I believe I've seen almost everyone. There's maybe one or two I haven't seen maybe in his earlier stuff. But I, I mean, my first introduction to him was Memento and Insomnia. Um, yes. Yeah, me too. Both of those, both of those. But it's always interesting as you go through his catalog. Outside of the Dark Knight trilogy, he seems to get more and more like uh, there's a lot of layers and more and more layers get built on his films, you know? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. So it, it gets to a point where it's just like, okay, uh, I, I'm seriously going to, cause his movies are like two and a half hours long, sometimes running on three hours. It's just like, I love this. I just got to devote the time to sit down and watch it and watch and continue to watch it closely. Cause I know I'm missing something. Absolutely. <laughs> but that's part of the fun of the journey. So I agree. And you know, the, I mentioned earlier, I like this, part of his career now you know again batman had come out the previous year so (laughs) i guess it's not really fair to put it in that category but movies like memento and the prestige i think these are some of like that's some of my favorite movies that he's done uh memento was the first one i saw too i saw it in theaters uh not really knowing much about it but becoming an instant fan and i just like the fact that this movie like i said earlier is a little bit smaller um, in scale, you know, there's not as much mm-hmm. at stake. It's really just about these two men that uh, have a a thirst for, you know, outdoing one another and, you know, having the ultimate accolades, I guess. And, you know, I'm sure we'll dive into all that. But I, I, I like the scale of the film. And, you know, the cast uh, does such an incredible job of pulling it off. But it's also because it's Nolan and the style in which he shot this all the little details. And like you said, you know, you have to go back and watch it several times to really get the full effect. Like you may understand what happened, but you've definitely missed Mm -hmm. something if you don't go back and see it again. 
Oh yeah. And, and you know, this is probably, you know, kind of that transition time where he's still the set pieces, the scale, like you said, it is very contained. And then you go a few years down the line, you get, you know, uh, inception. Right. And, and then you go a few years more to interstellar, then you get tenant. So, I mean, it gets you bigger and bigger, the scale and the stakes while mm-hmm. this one, like you said, it's basically a rivalry, you know, very simple rivalry. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of times people um, make the comment that some of his films like Inception and Tenet are very like, you know, James Bond and big and action. And, and, you know, uh, it's kind of, it's kind of like seeing that style of film, but in like a, a more intense and, you know, time bending sometimes or reality bending situation. Um, and I think he does a, he does a great job at that. I like those films, but it is also nice to see something like this. It's more almost of like a character study, but then also I, I, you know, I've heard the movie described as also sort of a commentary on film itself. Um, And I just love, I love that. I love all the layers to it for sure. Yeah. And that's what makes a good Christopher Nolan film. Like he's, he's not going to treat his audience like to explain everything it's it's the it's the journey and you coming up to your own conclusions because what he says yeah i mean it, that's I, I think that's what i like about him when he comes to points of movies where people say well, what does this mean what does it mean what do you think it means exactly like, okay yeah. that's, and again that's I think, fine i think that's why it is a little bit less popular i mean with dunkirk there's no you know it's you get what you're seeing but with the prestige it is a little bit more you know come to your own conclusions and some people yeah. like that and some people don't <laughs> i've grown i've grown I, I, I in my younger years i probably didn't like that kind of stuff but now i really enjoy that and i like the kind of the debates and saying well, what did you think and how do you see it like this and getting new perspectives each time i watch it so exactly and i feel like it's one of those things if you watch a lot of movies i feel like you become that kind of fan after a while <laughs> it's like someone that listens to music all the time and their tastes get like a little bit more you know, I don't know, to, to outsiders eccentric or something, but it's because you're like so immersed in so much <laughs> film. It's like you want to see something different, something new. And I think movies like this that kind of leave so many things open ended, uh, you know, just appeal to somebody that watches a lot of film. Um, mm-hmm. Well, why don't we talk about some of our favorite scenes in the movie? Yeah, uh, it's interesting. Like you say, you, you open the movie with, you know, a a flash basically the end at exactly that point. and you and, don't know and, that until the end <laughs> yes exactly but you can kind of you kind of tell especially with michael kane's comparable in the sense of like a morgan you know he's got his own morgan freeman you listen to michael kane it's just like oh okay you can definitely be the voice of god to me i'm, I'm cool with you being a narrator <laughs> at that point no. um I, I have to say when we get into this intro going way back as you know angier is you're hearing at least part of this tale from angier's side um yes reading reading the diary of of, of borden uh, and seeing the rivalry and seeing how it kind of begins at that point but they i i find it interesting that borden talks about milton being a boring and he's saying but his big trick his transported man later they point out he doesn't have showmanship and, and he's things not like that, the greatest but showman. He, <laughs> Sorry. He's not exactly touche. <laughs> and, um, but he's the one who criticized Milton for not being the showman. 
And so I was just like, huh, that's interesting. You criticize the person, but you have absolutely no showmanship. You're a great magician, magician, as Michael Caine says, but you didn't learn from your own criticism of the one you were studying under. Right. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I also think it's interesting. I think that our opinions of these two men really shift in a dramatic way by the end. And in this first part of the movie, you know, Angier seems more like he's got his life together. Uh, Borden seems obsessive and reckless, but it, I guess, you know, it, we find out later it's a facade, but I think in the, in the beginning, mm-hmm. the competition feels more like it's centered on um, the true artist versus the, you know, stage presence. Yeah. And especially like going back to what you're saying, the, you know, when Michael Caine sends them to, study and try to see if they can learn the trick of the the Chinese magician at that point and, and see and, and Borden calls it right there said this is the act he has completely committed to being elderly at that point he's yeah. in Borden's mind he's like he's not he doesn't think he's elderly this is all part of the act and that Borden takes that in the full commitment to it and Angier until the end of the movie doesn't get that commitment. He doesn't see it. He tries to analyze everything left and right, tries to figure out the the trick behind what's going on, but it's not until the end that he really commits mm-hmm. and sacrifices. Well, yeah. Borden has done that basically since the beginning. Right. Yeah, that's a really good point. Uh, it, it's interesting. It's almost like the longer you do it, the there's a timeline to where you become Borden, I guess, because yeah. Oh, yeah. It, apparently that's what it takes. It's like the, like you're saying the the ones that are extremely successful at it seem to be the ones that commit a hundred percent and, you know, fooling the audience is more than just figuring out the technicality of a, of a trick. It's making them believe um, they have mm-hmm. to believe that that guy is old and feeble mm-hmm. and, they learn that through subtle visual cues of how he's, you know, presenting himself, how he looks and how he hobbles around. And he has to do that because otherwise you would say, oh, yeah, he's got that fishbowl between his knees. <laughs> you know, you would figure it out. Yeah. But because he commits 100 percent, you see him after the show and he's, you know, being led to his little carriage and nobody sees him outside of that. You know, that's that's what is needed. That's what's required to, for it to be more than just a, a cheap trick. Yeah, what what do you think, you know, when it comes down to the the death of, of Angier's wife? Like, what not did he I I, I never I, I know when they say like Borden goes, I'm not, I keep on going into my head of this day, I still don't know, and I still don't know this day. It's like I just the way they both looked at each other at that point, he he looked like he changed the knot. I mean, I'm not a not person, but it's just like I don't think they showed enough to really determine anything that's the whole point, but it's just like kind of thought he did the different knot because of the way they both looked at each other i don't know what do you what do you think i feel like so alfred alfred uh borden has this effect on people i mean on sarah where he's like to really get the audience going it has to be an even more convincing knot and you know they argue about that about the safety um and sarah's even like you know what i think i could do it i think i think i could do it so I do wonder if there was like an agreement between them and she was like, go ahead and do the knot. But no matter what he convinced her 
that yeah. that she could get out of that knot too. I think he believed it. And I think he felt that the only way to make that trick more exciting is for the knot to look real and for the knot to look real has to be real. Um, but I also think that he took that so far that I kind of believe him that he doesn't know in the sense that I don't know if he can face that part of himself, that he's like directly responsible and was completely wrong after convincing himself and her. Maybe he just felt too guilty. But I guess yeah, my maybe. long answer is I kind of think he did it. <laughs> yeah, it just it makes the most sense and just kind of the look that they have before the knot is finalized at that point. But, yeah. And it's really interesting when you see Borden in his relationship with Sarah, like the other Sarah, I guess, at that point. Yeah. Um, I totally forgot they were both named Sarah. <laughs> or, or is it um, Jess? Maybe I'm saying the wrong name. I honestly can't remember. I think it might be Jess. You're right. Okay. I think it might that, be Jess. My bad, y'all. No, you're good. I was like, that's really interesting. I didn't even realize they were both in here. That is really even more interesting at that point. <laughs> that would be messed up. Um, but <laughs> That would be. But getting to even more messed up at that point, he, uh, I kind of ch- nervously chuckle at this scene when he's, you know, meeting Sarah and after he, you know, they have a good lunch and she's like, I'm going to go in. I said, okay, you think I can't get into that? Like, I think you can't get in. And then she closes the door and he's there. And we know, I, I think we should, that's like, if you haven't seen the movie at that point, but we're, <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's his twin. He's got a twin. Yeah. He's and so committed her, to this. Her, he's even fooling his wife. Yeah. And he, the twin is in there and it's just like, and she just nervously laughs and, oh, that, how did you do that at that point? It's like, um, I wouldn't be more just nervous laughter. I'd be freaking running for the hills at that point. Like, uh. <laughs> I know. Do you think that Sarah, she, she almost figures it out. <laughs> like, yes. You know, she says to him in the movie that some days you love me and some days you don't, which is kind of a heartbreaking, I think sometimes accurate for some people way to look at their relationship because he is so and she says it that he's sort of married to magic and that it's so important to him that it's almost Mm -hmm. like she and later his daughter are like on the back burner half of the time um yeah and he agrees but then we find out later it's because he's got that twin but it's almost like i don't know it's like she could have put that together but kind of like how she accepted that he loved her in some days and didn't others and that trick was so impossible and she just overlooked it um it feels like there was some self-deception there like she loved him so much that she was willing to go along with anything he put out there until towards the end yeah especially as you know once scarlett jansen's character comes over to his side at that point that's when it really goes down but i know later in the film when she i found this out like when she says the line i know what you are apparently that wasn't in the script and the actress rebecca hall said that she felt terrible right after she said it because she thought she had given away the ending oh Um, it's funny because it doesn't but then when you think about it later you're like oh she probably knew yeah but to your point, it's just like her saying not today when Alfred says, I love you. Like it's, it's interesting that whole part, but my question is. It, it, I know in the book, um, if I remember my notes correctly, the, um, the characters at that point, uh, it hit in the movie and confirmed in the novel that the twins are named Alfred, uh, Albert and Frederick Borden. Hence Alfred Borden is created for the film. 
But when at that point, when she find when he find, Sarah says to Alfred that Alfred saying we're having a baby, and Alfred said we should tell Fallon. My assessment is Fallon's the father. Oh, that's 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 what I think. Because why why emphasize telling Fallon? Like she like his excitement. It seems like he's doing it because he knows he has to do it at that moment, but it doesn't. It didn't seem believable to me. And so when he says we should tell Fallon, I think he's the father. Yes, and he says we're having a baby, making it sound like he and her. But he was talking about him and his twin or what, brother. Or, you know, yeah, brother. Yeah. Um. Wow. <laughs> I, I know. I mean, it's like the more you watch this, the more messed up it gets. <laughs> well, and and it makes sense because Fallon is the one that gets to live, and he's also the the one that loses his wife. Whereas, yeah, the other and one, yeah. It just gets confusing because you never know at that point. But it's just like when we first see Fallon and we see it at that point, we see how this all ends up. But it's just like, yeah, I'm whoever was Fallon at that moment. Yeah, he's he's the father. But I think I think they both genuinely love their daughter. Absolutely, genuinely love their daughter. Yeah, I, I think, I that think was... so because no matter what, she's their DNA. But mm-hmm. they just loved a different woman. Yeah. And I still kind of use that term loosely because, uh, yeah, it's complicated. <laughs> yeah. Also, I yeah, think it, Jess, it, it and it, I think it's Julia. Jess is the daughter, I okay. think. Okay, daughter. Julia. Yep. Okay. There's just too many J names, I think. Julia, Jess. Yeah. Okay. But, um, <laughs> but what's one of your early favorite scenes? Oh, you, you mentioned some good ones. Um, hmm, let me think. I, I think I think of this movie a little out of order because it is out of order. Um, we'll go for that what's your favorite (laughs) one that comes to mind then oh man uh there's so many but um i really like so you already mentioned meeting tesla well i like um when so they're both like both alfred and algier um they are in constant odds with each other trying to like see new tricks learn how they Mm -hmm. work and stuff like that um, and the first time that Alfred goes to see Tesla and, um, they both kind of have like this experience watching it. And I think that scene's interesting because I feel like, I feel like Alfred sees something immediately <laughs> somehow that Angier like isn't able to, and it like drives yes. him crazy. Um, but I don't think he pursues Tesla right away because he can't imagine what Alfred is seeing. And that's like the biggest thing that Alfred always has over him is that he's like 10 steps ahead. You know, he immediately figured out that um, Chinese magician's trick. You know, he can just look Mm -hmm. at something one time and see potential that nobody else can see. Um, And so I really like that, that part of the movie. (laughs) Yeah, it's in it, it, the interesting like Angier's jealousy at Borden having happiness and yes, wow, that he stri- that he strive to have that Borden has, but Borden doesn't enjoy it because of the truth behind of what's really going on, and like part of him enjoys it, the other part of him doesn't, and and how Angier just keeps on saying like, Oh, it's too, it's gotta be like Kane figures it out. Michael Kane's character figures it out. He's like, he has in, a in the sense of, 
It, it, it's the easiest thing. I said, no, it's too, no, it's too simple. It's, it, it's gotta be, com- it's more complicated than that. He says, no, you just don't, you just don't want to admit how simple it is. And, and because he's not a showman, he doesn't know how to sell it. It happens too quick. And, and so he says, unless you're willing to do a double, unless you're willing to admit this, I'm going to do it the way we know how to do it. And, and so it's just like, and Borden's, it's just interesting. I always go back to like, he talks about complaining about being the showman and he, it, it's until he gets, you know, involved with Tesla and Scarlett Johansson's character goes to his side. It's just like, that's when it really starts building a show. Mm-hmm. And, and with Angier, it's just the jealousy, the rivalry becomes obsessive to him. And, I just don't get, I get that to some extent with Borden, but not to the level of Angier and Angier's personal side is he killed my wife. Totally get that. It's more personal to him. But at one point he says, I don't care about my wife. <laughs> yes. Which is yes. an insane and that moment is such in that like, movie. Exactly. And, and, you know, Borden making the first shot against, uh, it's gonna be Angier getting the first shot, literally on board, and yeah. basically damaging his hand. And later in the film, when we come to the ending of the commitment that he has, again the commitment to the part. But I wonder if he didn't and, have that commitment until Scarlett Johansson said, "Let them see your hand," because yeah. they how do they know it's you if they don't see your hand? True, Very, that, that is a good point. It was you know um, she was she was intuitive in that she knew that there were certain things that the audience clings to kind of like Borden had pointed out with, if the person, you know, commits, they seem old, even when they're not on stage, they're old. That's how you fool people. She said, you know, what's going to level up your game is let them see your hand, let them know that those fingers are missing because then how do you fake that? Yeah. Well, he can't. Uh, <laughs> he has to chop yeah, the other guy's yeah. hand off. Exactly. I love david bowie's like kind of monologue with angier in colorado he he goes and said you know man's reach exceeds his grasp is a lie man's grasp exceeds his nerve society only tolerates one change at a time i was hailed as a visionary for the first time i changed the world and the second time i was asked to politely retire mm, yes yeah. yeah have you considered the cost go home forget this thing i recognize an obsession no good will come of it Hasn't good come out of and Angier asked him, hasn't good come out of your obsessions? He says at first, but I followed them too long. I'm a I'm a I'm their slave, and one day they will choose to destroy me. That is a I love that because yeah. it is it is his warning. I mean, it's obviously a warning, but it's just like you don't get it. I am living proof of what my obsession has led to me. You need to learn from me. I get you have this kind of rivalry going on, but well, yeah, he's look he at was what caught it's up costing. in a rivalry himself. Exactly. With Edison and, and, and it went really far. I mean, yeah, you see that part in the movie where, you know, Edison's like <laughs> trying to be like, look at how insane this electricity is. It like scaring the crap out of everybody with that machine. And it's like, I mean, that's- Edison's this unseen <laughs> villain that we yeah. all hate. I haven't seen Edison, but I freaking hate him. <laughs> yeah. It's like, he's talked about in the movie. Yeah. Forgive me. He's not yeah. seen, but he's talked about. And it's like um, that scene where everyone sees all that lightning and they're running away in horror. I think, you know, for, for Tesla, like there is some danger in the amazingness of what, he understood about electricity like 
you know, there's that scene where they go to that field and touch those light bulbs. And there's also that other scene where he like holds his hand. He's like, you're conducting it. It's like, yeah, the average person not understanding how that works made him seem like a God. But then after a while, it just makes people hate him because it's it's so hard for them to like, it's too ahead. It's too smart. Um, And, you know, alternating current was that, that, that was the big thing that him and Edison, you know, went head to head over because he came up with something better. um, And he was able to kind of wield that against him and make people hate him for it, even though it was the better Mm -hmm. invention. And yeah, so he's, he's got firsthand knowledge of what it's like to, you know, fool his audience and have them turn on him. Especially the whole idea, you know, the the history of Edison, supposedly how many patents did he really do? It was, yeah. it was like his workers at that point. It kind of goes into the idea of magicians in the sense of even this movie, magicians stealing and trying to find out secrets and bettering each other's trick. Obviously, in this case, the transported man and what Borden tells her, uh, Sarah's nephew, you know, just don't ever tell people the trick. And even when she learns the trick of the bullet, bullet, the, the bullet trick at that point, oh, it's not that it's kind of obvious when she knows like, well, duh, of course it is. And now it loses the illusion. That's why you don't tell people the secrets, but the idea that Angier has to accept the fact that we're going to do, we're going to cutter says you're going to have to do a double. And that's what we're going to do. And I love, 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 you know, it obviously you're going to get Hugh Jackman to play himself, but playing him has this root. You already see the danger and how this is going to go. The minute, they find him in the bar drunk. Right. I mean, he, there is also one more aspect I wanted to mention that's different between Algier and, uh, and um, Alfred. And that's Borden. the, oh yeah, Borden. Uh, the, the class difference between the two of them. Um, yes. I think it really, I think that is the, to me, that's the crux of what motivates him is that, I think he's upset that I think he is worried he's a fraud. I think Angier has all the money and time in the world to throw money at stuff until he can steal other people's tricks, but he doesn't have he doesn't have the innate creativity that Borden does. And I think it mm-hmm. frustrates him that somebody that doesn't have any money is able to to do that. And I think that's sort of I mean, it's not like the same with Tesla and Edison, but I think in some ways, you know, Edison hated Tesla because Tesla was like the real genius, whereas he was just the one like claiming other claiming credit for other people's work. And so I think like Angier like sort of has to prove to himself that he's legit. And it's not until he takes it all the way that he feels like he's successfully doing that. But I feel like that's a big part of why he hates him so much. Oh, yeah. I, I think that's a great point to bring up is the idea of class, because at the beginning of the movie, he kind of you kind of get a throwaway line um, talking about his family and he doesn't have his name because he doesn't want to embarrass his family at that point. So it, it's it's very interesting at, at how the revenge keeps on stacking on each other at that point. Mm-hmm. And and with. It, I love it how Borden, when he talks to um, Scarlett Johansson character Olivia, saying, "How much does it kill him that he has to take the bows below below the stage?" Borden's already figured it out. It's fairly obvious to him what he's doing, because he knows how he does his trick, and so he knows he's using double, but he knows it's not 
Angier at the end of the prestige. It, it's the double. And it's just like, it's got to be killing him. And she's like, it is. It, it's, he's obsessed with it. He's, he can't stand being underneath the stage. Yeah, and it's a huge metaphor for Andrew himself. It's really not about the trick. It's about, and he says that at the end of the movie too, right? It's it's about the applause, the attention from the crowd. If he's under the stage, he doesn't get to have that. So even though he claims, you know, that's the important part of it, it's not. He has to do the trick and he needs to be the one on top with everyone cheering at him. Or he hasn't yeah. won in his bind. Um and yeah, I think, you, you know, you mentioned the, uh, and I think this is another another way that the movie kind of messes with us because he's got this double that's drunk all the time, but it's clearly just him, right? Yep. But we're yep. being told through the movie that it's not. So I think that really throws us off to where we don't think about Alfred possibly having a double that's literally his clone or whatever. Correct. Because yeah, it's because we've been thrown off by like, well, we see someone that clearly is just Hugh Jackman twice. <laughs> so that I think <laughs> I think visually that throws us off the rest of the movie to where we don't think about that with with Christian Bale's character. We're like, there must be some other thing happening there. But there there's not. We and I think if we didn't see that, I don't think we would think of that. Like if they had hired someone that kind of looked like Hugh Jackman instead. I don't know that it would have I don't know that it would have gone the same way for the audience. What do you think? No, it 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 had to be Hugh playing just a a, a drunken version of himself. Yeah, at that point, it, it it works really well for for a comedy's sake and just for of us, like you said, not thinking about Borden's trick and, and saying, "Oh, okay, well, you know, it's we don't know the truth. Obviously, he's got a double, and it's not his twin." <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's just interesting. And then um, you mentioned that you know you can see right away where this is going to go wrong. Yeah, that drives Angier crazy because I think on top of being obsessive, he's extremely controlling. Um, mm -hmm. And so this idea that he has to let go of some of that control and involve someone else in his trick and let them take the reins. I mean, that even if he wasn't drunk, it would be upsetting, but it's even worse that he is. Especially, you know, you hear like Borden telling the the uh the double root saying oh i i did a trick like that too but the thing he stopped control of me because he realized like i have power i can blackmail yes. him i can screw up his act and do different things and really do that and it, he said that's power and so when he, even cutter starts seeing it when he starts making demands of blackmailing it's okay we gotta end the trick and angier doesn't want to do it because he's getting big and he's he's getting notoriety he's getting bigger than borden and he's just like yeah, and he's seeing that too. So, you know, it, again, it's the danger of, like you, like we keep saying, Angier is seeking the publicity. He won't, he won't try to change at that point. And, and you're right. We see Angier, I believe, becomes the bigger villain than Borden. Oh, for sure. In this movie, like Borden starts off kind of like that, but Angier goes deeper down the rabbit hole. I mean, Borden put his wife in danger and possibly led to her, led to her death, right? Yes, led um, to her suicide. Yeah, yeah. Um, or, or no, I'm sorry, Borden's uh, Angier's wife, right? Uh, in the uh, water box. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Angier's wife. Yeah yeah yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry, okay. there's so many, <laughs> there's so many. Oh, no, yeah. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I meant uh, his his first 
wife, I guess. I, yes. I mean, I don't think he ever mm-hmm. married Scarjo, but um, yeah, uh, he, you know, he did something that led to someone's death. We assume he's obsessive. He's driven to the point of, I mean, the stakes, there are no stakes. He's, he, he says he's committed to whatever he needs to do, but up until the end, he really hadn't directly hurt anyone. It's actually, Angier is the first one to take an actual shot at somebody. You know, it's not part of it. It's kind of part of a trick, but it's not. Um, he directly commits an act of violence. Whereas Alfred, you could yep. say, you know, he, I don't know, you know, he, maybe he made a mistake or he took things too far and Jir, you know, points a gun at him and shoots him. Yeah. So yeah, <laughs> yeah I think at that point, that's where I feel like the line really gets crossed. And I think it's like up until that point, I think Borden felt pretty safe. You know, he thought, okay, this is just some rich guy that throws his money at at stuff to try to best me. And he can't, he's not as smart as me. And then that happens. And it's like, actually, maybe not, but he is dangerous. (laughs) And I Mm -hmm. think he has a turning point there to where it's like truly at any cost, he's going to best board. And it's a visual cue for us too, that he's willing to kill someone uh, to get what he wants. And that's exactly what he does. He kills a a bunch of someone's. (laughs) Yeah, it, it's, you know, it, it, it's, it, I think it's even jarring, you know, you see the argument that Sarah and, and, um, Borden are having in this case, Borden, not Fallon, who I'll just say that Fallon's the one who is really in love with Sarah at that point. Right, right. And, and, and her saying the line, I know what you are, Alfred, and him saying, you know, do you love me? And he said, not today. And, and when she asked him, does he, does he love her? And then her going to the workshop and hang herself, I thought, oh, jarring as all get out i i kind of saw either her leaving him i don't know if i saw her committing suicide um necessary i did hear see her spiraling but i don't know if i was fully there of her committing suicide i get it i did not not believe it it was just that was i didn't see that coming until i saw her kind of alone in the workshop i said "Uh uh-oh this is not gonna go well it kind of feels like you know they talked earlier about sacrifice um and angier lost his first wife because of magic and so you know, Fallon loses his wife because of magic again. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I th- I think maybe some of it could also, I think some of it has to do with the time period. I mean, yeah, you know, she mentions early on in the film that she doesn't want him to do that gun trick because, you know, she doesn't want to raise a child alone. I mean, a woman in London at that time alone would be, I mean, she she needs him. Uh, yeah. <laughs> desperately. So I he, think ha- that he, has, probably- he has the money. Yeah, yeah, like I think that that plays a part in it because I mean, at that time it, it was pretty rough. I mean, you know, even if your husband died or he left you, you know, being an unmarried woman would be very difficult. So I think I think that that kind of helps sell it. I think if it were, I think a lot of things about this movie work because of the time period, um, and that's I think that aspect is probably one of them. Um, not to say that people don't still, you know take their own life in situations like that but yeah it's more believable because of or it's more likely because of the situation i mean you could apply that to the fact that magicians are so important at all (laughs) you know during this time magicians were big right in edwardian london and uh you know they they were stealing each other's acts and all that kind of stuff so like all of it kind of works because of the time period i think a little bit too yeah and I love it. We kind of talked about it at the beginning. I haven't gone back. You know, we're getting this perspective from Borden in jail 
reading Angier's diary and seeing his perspective, while at the same time, Angier is reading the diary of Borden after mm-hmm. he gets the secret. He says the secret of my my trick, the transported man, is one is the code word Tesla, and that's how he yeah. gets on the journey with Tesla. So we get an interesting juxtaposition of both men reading diaries and getting the story while we're getting both sides of the story, or are we? But then we come to the point of the revelation, like each time he goes to Tesla's machine, it doesn't work, it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And then they figure out it is working and it's creating clones of the cat and the all the cats. Yeah. And, and it's just like, and so when we leave, when Tesla is forced out because Edison's men destroy the workshop and, and everything like that, you know, he leaves him the stuff, but he warns him, he's saying, Here's the instructions. I'm warning you. Don't use this. Forget it. Burn it. Don't do it. And so when we see Angier at the end of the diary you know, talking about the trick and we see it happen, we get we stop. And that's when he says, you know, I leave you this Borden while you're sitting there rotting in jail at that point. It's just like, oh, OK, we've taken a We've taken a turn here at that point. Well, how does he know he's in jail? Yeah. I mean, that's an interesting aspect of it, right? Uh, he becomes so obsessed. Once again, he never really gets like the full picture of what's happening, even when he's told. Like earlier on in the film, Scarlett Johansson says, you know, I've seen like the disguises. I do think that he has a double, just like Cutter said. And he gets really angry at her and he's like, no, he's he's misdirecting you. Well, he wasn't. The, the, that was Fallon's outfit <laughs> so yeah <laughs> that, i mean it's so exactly. obvious again the you know the answer is obvious and then uh alfred you know apparently figured out this twin thing before tesla did because tesla you know they they see the hats like you mentioned which hat is mine all of them um yeah that was a great that was a yeah. good idea which one uh they're technically all yours <laughs> yeah it's like apparently borden i guess figured out that he had a double and somehow concealed that from tesla because uh, otherwise he would have brought that up, which I thought was interesting. And then, yep. yeah, he's so obsessed with um, him figuring it out and him being able to use it. Yeah, he never thinks about the fact that, yes, you know, Alfred's in jail, but what about the other one? He, like, completely forgets about, again, he's distracted and forgets about the double. Yep. Again, consistently, like, throughout the whole movie, yep. forgets about it. <laughs> it, it. Exactly. And the fact that, you know, like, he sends uh you know olivia to him and she says no i i i'm gonna give you all his information i'm gonna sell him out because he took me away i loved him but you know what he's gonna do this i'm going to uh you know here here's everything and when she you know it's it's just one of those things like he like you had said the line where she goes i i don't care about my wife i care about a secret it's just like you you've completely lost your way and when he really loses his way is like, you know, he shows the trick off for Michael Caine's care, uh, cutter and then the new theater guy, or at least the the promoter to try to sell it at that point. And he sees like real magic. And we're just like, we don't know the secret of the trick yet. Uh, we, we do know, and we but, don't. But it like, is we, interesting we, the way he reacts. This is real magic. This yeah. is different. You're going to have to make it look like it's not on some level. Doesn't he say that? Well, yeah. Oh, yeah. Exactly. You have yeah. to dress it up, sell it, like you know, because it's so quick, people won't believe it. So you got to make them believe it. So even though I said like we know the trick, but we don't. I I mean, what I mean is that we know a clone has been created. What happens to that clone? 
because yeah yeah you assume that it's you know one guy (laughs) right that there's just well you you yeah yeah because we've never seen we've seen the cat trend we've seen double of cats but we just haven't seen the double of angier and so we're that's the thing i was wondering the first time i was like okay where's the double like and the question is who's the real one the is it the person we just got introduced to or the original went somewhere else and we don't know where they are i also think it's interesting that to me and i don't know if i'm just reading it this way but that the uh that the guy running the theater he seems freaked out like he's like yeah this is real i don't think this is a trick pretty much like to me that that's how his response was did you get that sense too yeah i I I think i I did as well i was like i think he he's he's one step ahead of us the audience he's like oh snap like something's going on here like this is not a magic trick but fine it'll make money but you know hopefully don't reveal to them what's really happening because that's really gonna i mean if people knew (laughs) that that there were clones that would be a bigger problem than just seeing and and that's the easiest reason why he doesn't want cutter behind the scenes because he knows he knows what he's doing and he doesn't want that kind of on cutter because cutter would put a stop to it cutter would walk away and there's a reason why this is going to be angier's last show you know he there's only so much he can tolerate doing this himself and he wants to make enough money he wants to destroy borden's life by drawing him in and and baiting him to basically frame him for murdering him and and the revelation of you know that we see this lord cordlow is really angier Mm -hmm. and that was just like the the screaming of like you can't do this to me you're taking away my you can't take away my life of my daughter from me you know what do you realize what you're doing and the coldness and the callousness like again i get it you've lost your wife but you have gone a deep dark path that I, I, there is no redemption for Angie. Yeah, at this I point. mean, he's already admitted that it's not about that. So he might say that in that moment, but we know the truth because he said it earlier. Yeah. Um, but also, once again, it, it seems it's interesting to me that his revenge against Borden is just constantly trying to disadvantage him in some way. You know, shooting him, he loses mm-hmm. those fingers. I mean, he meant to kill him, but you know, that's a disadvantage for him for a while and then he lands him in prison now he really has the upper hand but like no matter what he does eventually borden gets back up (laughs) like somehow he comes around to to coming back after him he can never truly anticipate his next move yeah and i love that borden telling fallon he should have listened to him about letting angier go he is sorry that's he's sorry about sarah and he tells him to go live his life now if you remember that's the that's the biggest tell because the previous scene before he goes to the show what lands him in jail it's the flip the foul when he tells him i should have listened to you that fallon standing right there that's the alfred that said that line we're done we got to forget about angier we're walking away that's why he says i should have listened to you I should have oh, let it yeah. go. So it, it it takes, you know, you say, oh, well, yeah, that makes sense. It's just like it takes watching it a couple of times to kind of wrap your head around that moment. And and at that moment, you 
he's you're just pulling back but you don't your brain the first time you see you're not accepting it's like what did he mean by i should listen to you that's what you said why are you saying i should listen to you so your brain's not necessarily accepting that and i even more appreciate cutter when he goes and sees lord code low to be revealed as angier how upset he is yeah like he basically says, like, you can't let him hang. You can't let him. You, you, this isn't you. Yeah, it's messed up. Like, I mean, I guess Cutter, does he? Well, yeah, he knew that he blew off his fingers. But I guess he maybe up until this point, he kind of convinced himself that, you know, that that was an accident. Part of the trick. That um, uh, it's just uh, a rivalry. Yeah. And but this is where he really has to admit, yeah, you're nuts like this is bad <laughs> like, yeah. um you know this is way beyond anything borden's ever done to you borden never intentionally harmed your wife i mean he may have taken his obsession too far but he wasn't trying to kill her yeah um, oh yeah you can't never say that borden was the goal was to kill his wife no the goal all. was a perfect magic trick like truly yeah but with angier the the goal is just like punishing borden um and making him suffer uh and I also thought it was interesting. So I hate to jump back like this, but I just kind of want to know from your perspective. Um, The dinner where, you know, the thing that sets Sarah off where Scarlett Johansson is brought to dinner and was that Borden or Fallon that was drunk and brought her? It was the one that was in love with Um, her, right? I guess. So that would have been Alfred. The one that was in love with Scarlett. I felt like. Okay. So you're asking for who do I, who, who's the one sitting at the table? Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, this is um, th- this is not the one, this is not the twin that loves Sarah. Yes, that's yeah, at all. Yeah, this it's, is not the twin that loves Sarah at all. It's the one that's um, tired of the double life at that point, I think. Exactly. And when he says, I lost something very private to me, he he's bad at that he got caught in that, you know, in the he was the one in the box and his brother was forced to give up the secret right okay. or at least the code word at that point you know he 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 he's upset that angier got one over on him and he couldn't do anything about it yeah okay but in in turn in turn he was hoping when he sent him to tesla he would piss away all the money that he made <laughs> and that was the big joke at that point that was his kind of revenge like because he even says it's like i sent you out to tesla yeah it Tesla did the mechanism to drop, make my show cool. It has nothing to do with my trick. Congratulations. You just blew through a bunch of time and money. That's my revenge against you. Suck on that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Again, about the, the fact that they're in different positions in life. Yep. One exactly. Of- I, I love that you brought that up because that, that, yeah. that is the, the class is very, very obvious. Yeah. And I mean, Gordon um, also outside of the money, he's the true artist, like the genius. And you is yep. just, He's just got enough time and money and he's relentless. That's not the same as being, you know, uh, intuitive and creative. Um, yeah. But it's enough to make him mad enough. It's kind of like in a, a, the movie Amadeus, right? <laughs> like the yeah, bad guy true. that's yeah. jealous of Amadeus. And it's like <laughs> his jealousy drives him to do all kinds of stuff. But in the end, it, it doesn't replace, it doesn't make him talented. And I think that's what drove Angier crazy to the very end. Um, Mm -hmm. and once again, he becomes so obsessed with, you know, punishing Borden is, yeah, he completely forgets about the twin. How could he, how could he forget about that? Like that should have been part of his plan. Like he can't just put one of them in jail. (laughs) Oh yeah, exactly. (laughs) And 
and, and so when you get to where um Angier is going to where you know all the all the equipment's housed at that point in the in the dilapidated theater um you know and he gets shot and Borden steps out of the shadows and he's like wait a minute how did you do that because I I well, the brother was hanged I love it has heavy last words abracadabra yeah <laughs> and um but he steps forward and he's like how how you, you hang and that's when Borden reveals his the true secret like it's two men sharing one life we each loved one of them i love sarah and he loved olivia and they shared half of one life but it was not it wasn't for them sacrifice is the price of a good trick he said and then he says i and andrew's like you know sitting there dying saying i i i sacrificed i i i sacrificed and he said that's when he reveals like the first time he did the the trick like we don't know. And he even says, I don't know if I was going to be the man. Like he shot shoots, you know, you see this reaction. No, 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 I'm not like, we don't know if it was the clone or it was him shooting him. But we know, you know? he doesn't want to share the credit. He, he, he don't, you know, yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, he doesn't want to share the credit. And so I, I want to hear his thing when he does it the first time, does the clone survive or is it the real Angier? What do mm. you think? I don't know. I mean, I, I kind of, I don't think they know. I don't think either one of them knows. Yeah. Um, uh, there but- it, it's, it, it's one of those things that I'll take Borden's point of view. One time I watched the movie. I think, I think it's the original Angier that shoots the clone this time. I think it's the clone just based on a reaction and nothing changes in the movie for me. It's just, how I'm feeling that day. I don't know yeah. either. And I think that like you, we touched on the key difference between Angier and Borden. Borden got a clone and again, he cares about the trick, right? Um, yes. And the commitment to it. Angier cares about the credit. So he can't bear the thought of another him sharing the credit. Yep. <laughs> he couldn't stand exactly, the drunk is- one and he can't even stand himself apparently. So he shoots yeah. him. And that brutality is really what, leads to his undoing i mean he's the one that tips the scales and to where this is like you know he's a serial killer he's he killed every single <laughs> you know clone that came into existence and he has like a reason for it but i really think it's just he wants all the credit he has to have all the credit and that includes you know another version of himself and borden they just have to everyone has to be gone and it has to just be him yep or he's not and, satisfied and- and showing Cutter give just back to Borden at that point. He just can't stand what Angier is doing. Yeah. And then at the end of seeing how many dead clones there are is just like, I don't know what show we were at at that moment because he's, didn't he say like it was just going to be a hundred shows and that was it. Something right. Like that? Yeah. I think he was counting on, it was just going to end when he could finally um, frame Christian Bale, you know, true. I think it was going to get to the, so yeah. that's why he said it was a limited run, but he didn't know how limited. Um, okay. I couldn't remember I if he could put a number on it at, at that point or not. He might've said a number to me. It was just until he could trap Alfred. He's like, eventually he's going to get yeah. down there and see it and then it'll be done. But he had to spend every single day of his life with that fear of being the one in the box or not literally just to punish Borden. Yeah. Like that makes and- zero sense. <laughs> <laughs> not zero sense no. in the context of the film, but it's it's insane. Like it's not, it's yeah. a terrible 
you know. And that's what he views as sacrifice. Like, I didn't know if I was going to be the, the one being killed or the one seeing a stage. I said, yeah, um, <laughs> in some weird way, sure, at that point. But isn't your consciousness still living? So one of your consciences dies at that moment and you know it. it it's it, it is an effed up ending at that point and i i don't i like the ending in the sense of because after seeing it so many times i i get a little bit more out of it just like many christopher nolan movies but when i end this when i get to the end of this movie i'm still trying to figure out is there i, I think there's very an obvious villain in what angier becomes I don't know if there's a real hero in this because even Cutter it gets his hands dirty at points. Yeah. You know? But I also like Cutter's line where he says, and then you got to bring him back. That's part of the trip. Yeah, Oh, yeah. Yep. And that's Can't when have. we get the reveal of Borden. And it's like a signal to the audience, too, from Nolan. Like, mm -hmm. I've got to end this in such a way, as, as dark and messed up as it is, I've got to give you something back. And, you know, he yeah. gets to have the daughter. One version of him gets to have the daughter. But I agree. I don't know. And, you know, in some ways, Borden really started all this. He planted those seeds that lead to all of this. I mean, he planted that idea in uh, Julia's head that leads to her drowning in that box. And, you know, he's feeding you know, Angier ideas about how committed he has to be. So that leads to Angier going nuts. I mean, and yeah, Cutter's a, at the worst, he's an enabler, <laughs> you know, Yeah. <laughs> but he is an enabler. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, he does get his hands dirty, like you said. So, and, and like he praises, it, he's the one, right? That's like, oh, you made all the stagehands blind or you only hired blind stagehands. Yeah, good for you. Yeah. And I'm like, this is dark like, <laughs> like that's not cool. oh well uh, it, yeah and we know how he did that he took one of the blind homeless people and uh cloned him a bunch of times oh it's so <laughs> messed up <laughs> i didn't get that the first time it took me a second watch to say because i was wondering how does he have triple oh that's why <laughs> and what does he have over them that they're i guess he's just rich but yeah i, I it's yeah. like <laughs> it's messed up like he, he'll, he'll literally do anything but yeah I, yeah there, i don't think there's a good guy i mean i think they give us warm fuzzies at the end of the movie like oh that little girl got her dad back yeah that little yeah, she's girl. the good guy she's she's, she's the only innocent <laughs> in this <Yeah>. whole thing <laughs> and i guess like the but, fact that you know fallon is so remorseful and so was borden i guess that was supposed to make us feel like he's a good guy but yeah, it's I mean, he, really he's, <laughs> no, he's really not at that point. But you look at all these scenes like obsession, secrecy, sacrifice, you know, both magicians, this deadly feud of one upmanship, you know, th their own dealing is secrets. Like you brought up class warfare, um, theft, um, yeah. cutthroat competition. I mean, there's so many different themes that that makes this movie much more than just competing magicians. And I like the idea that as a whole, you know, in the beginning, Cutter talks about the different parts of the trick, and he's also talking about different parts of the movie at the same yeah. time and how, you know, like in some ways, movies are a prestige, you know, <laughs> and yep. so 
um, that they're a trick. And I feel like Nolan in this movie is exploring that idea of like how he's fooling the audience at several different points until he gives you that reveal in the end. Um, it's part of the trick, you know, playing with time so that we get confused about what time we are in the movie, um, misdirecting us with doubles that are played by the same actor, but are not, you know, clones yet. Um, you know, things like that in the film to where we don't really get the full picture to the end. And some people have that criticism of the movie that, you know, that, that final act where you find out it's Tesla's machine creating clones are like, that's horrible. And I'm like, is it horrible because magic isn't real, quote unquote, or is it horrible (laughs) because you got tricked? You were led two thirds of the movie to believe one thing. And then the last act, you learned something new that doesn't Mm -hmm. make it dumb. It just means that you were, you know what I mean? You were kind of bamboozled for the first couple of parts of the movie. But I think that to me that that's a smart way to do it is that there actually is some love, you know, they talk the whole movie about sleight of hand, how to, they show you all these different tricks, how to trick people. And in the end, it's not a trick. And I, I love that. Like, it's just, there's a double. <laughs> like <Yeah>. you said. <laughs> it's sometimes the simplest, expl- sometimes the uh, easiest, explanation, sometimes the simplest, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's the right solution. But, uh, but no, it's, it's, I, I probably, I can't, I've lost count how many times I've seen this movie and, uh, I very much, uh, you know, again, it's definitely one of my, it's obviously one of my favorites. We're talking about it here, but there's so much going on in here that it's, I know the, you know, the other movie that I remember coming out at the time was, um, the illusionist. What was it? The illusionist at that point I saw it. And it's not because I, I, I enjoy this movie more. It's I don't I think this, in my opinion, and my sub- completely subjective opinion, I think this is a superior movie. Well, it's a totally different movie in that The Illusionist is literally just about, you know, two people having a rivalry. This movie is like a rivalry, but there's a trick being performed on the audience while they're watching it. So yeah. it's it's got so many more layers psychologically and visually that it's kind of unfair to compare the two almost. You know, like I get that they're it, both it, about it, magic, exact... but yeah, one of them is like a, a Nolan film and the other one is like a straight, almost like biography, you know, or... True, I, different... and yeah. you're right. They they do different things. I think I, I like this movie. I like deeper movies Same. Than just that i mean yes i i do watch some dumb and just some popcorn movies <laughs> you got me i'm human but like that movie just seemed like this is more t- this is too cut and dry for me to really like yeah so. i mean you know if you're really invested in uh the rivalry between magicians then it's interesting but it would kind of have to be in order for you to really enjoy that whereas the prestige i mean it's not about two real magicians right it's just about Correct. This dynamic between these two men, their obsession, what it leads to. It, it's got it's it's got a different it's a different type of story. So I, sometimes people talk about those two movies at the same time, like you're saying, but I think they're they're just so drastically different. It's like comparing yeah. this to any other you know period piece that's about a historical figure. Well, that's not really what this is. You know, it, it's <laughs> you know Tesla's in it. That's about it, right? So. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's a different film, but I I completely agree with you. I know I saw The Illusionist, but if you ask me to summarize it right now, I don't think I could because I just yeah, it was I've, fine. I've only seen I, I've only seen it once, so I 
couldn't even put a synopsis it's, to it. Uh, Edward Norton's in it, right? <laughs> That's all I remember. Yes, Edward Norton. I think Paul Giamatti. And I want to say Jessica Biel. Yeah, there are a lot of. Okay, oh, I don't want to harp on this too much, but I feel yeah. like there's a lot of <laughs> period movies that don't really utilize the period the right way. Like mm-hmm. I've noticed this recently a lot in the past, like 10 or 15 years with like gangster films where they're like, all we got to do is have a bunch of gangsters <laughs> and put it in this time and people will love it. And it's like, nah, it has to be a, a really good film. It can't just be, it can't just have those elements. And I kind of feel that way about that movie where it's like, I mean, that's fine that it's in this time period and it's about these two people, but yeah, the, the, uh, the prestige really uses some of those aspects to its advantage as part of the story, not just it happens to be at that time, yeah. you know, but, but again, a story for another day. But yeah, yeah this, I know. And if anyone it, wants to review the illusionist, I'm really sorry. We can still review it. <laughs> oh yeah. It's, it, it's, <laughs> you know, as, just different films. as, as the illustrator J.K. Simmons said of whiplash, just not my tempo. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, was there anything that we missed? Did you have anything in your notes that we hadn't? No, I think I think we covered covered everything at that point. I know. Point. I'm sure I'll it's, think of something uh, at like midnight and be like, "Oops, I forgot." That's fine. To say that's that. when I come up with my ideas <laughs> as well. <laughs> yeah. So if I missed anything, that's why it's not my fault. Um, but yeah, so Chris, thank you so much for yeah. coming back on and talking about this. I've you know, I I always always look up facts about the movie, but I rev- I told you before we started recording that I was watching all those like, what did the ending really mean? Uh, even though I know what the ending means, but it is so fun to see this from different people's perspectives, because as you mentioned, there's not necessarily a right answer. Um, a lot of it is open-ended. So I love seeing different people's takes on what happened in this movie. And I love talking about it. So thank you again for, for choosing oh, this film. Of course. Uh, if you, if you had to summarize uh why why do you think you return to this one so much like wh- why do you think you've seen it so many times uh first off it's Hugh Jackman and Christian Bale the duo I never thought I needed to see on screen together but they do so well I mean two completely gr- amazing actors in their own way and, and different classes of actors, but they do so well. I think it's the dynamics between the two. I think it's all the layers of themes and the themes that's going on and just how I can find a new way. Like I'll say, like, I don't know who is who in certain scenes, you know, and trying to decipher. It's like, well, what, is Nolan trying to, does he give a little hint there and things like that? Like, I like a really good movie to me in this case with Nolan's is just like, I need to kind of pick this apart. And for some people say, Oh, you just can't sit back and join. No, there are times when I just sit back and join. I, my brain just, I, I just switch that part of it off and say, I'm just sitting back to enjoy. But sometimes I just want, I want to pick apart a movie, not to tear it apart, but just to find out the little secrets that are, that are there and to notice. So uh, I think those are, those are the reasons I keep revisiting this. I, I agree. And I love that, you know, they, they state it in the movie. It's, it's simple. Once you know the answer, it's simple. It makes complete mm-hmm. sense. When you get to the end of the film, you're like, oh, that's all that's happening. <laughs> and you go back and you're like, how was I fooled up until the end? Um, and so part of revisiting the movie is going back and seeing the ways that the director threw you off, the way the actors threw you off, the way the story 
kept you guessing. And, uh, you know, he's just so good at that. <laughs> and I agree with yeah. you. I love the casting. Uh, you know, Hugh Jackman is, he, he's in a, like a handsome, charismatic Hollywood actor, right? And he's a mm-hmm. great actor. And then, of course, Christian Bale's handsome as well. But he's like a different kind of actor. He's intense, where Hugh is more, I think, like I said, charismatic. Um, And so they're both perfectly cast in their roles because that's the roles that they're playing, too. It sort of mirrors real life in a lot of ways. Um, And I really like that aspect of it. So perfect casting, uh, you know, great story. I like being fooled. You know, I've, I've... said before when when we've talked about loki or the marvel films that i'm okay if i'm wrong i like being wrong because if i figure it out directly quickly then it's not that much of a mystery so i liked being wrong the first time i saw this movie and it made me want to go back and see why i was wrong and you know how i can figure it out so i love that about it um if you had to pitch this movie to someone that's never seen it before what would you say i would say that you think you uh well let me go back up uh this movie is more than just about magicians and a rivalry this is deeper and darker than just a simple rivalry and you oh and you have to make sure are you watching closely <laughs> i love that yeah i think you know when i get away from this film or i haven't seen it in a few years sometimes i forget all the all the twists and turns, all the layers to it. And you can kind of, if, if you haven't seen it in a while, you can kind of be like, oh, it's that movie about those two rival magicians. Like you're saying, no, it's way deeper than that. And it's <laughs> it's it's a really smart film. It's a well-shot film. And it's it's a clever movie to where, you know, there's oh. a lot of misdirection that, and, and it's fun because it's like the movie tells you, like you're being tricked and you don't know it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think- And seeing, and seeing, two of some of the best actors in our day yeah exactly i mean you can see why they were cast um and why they're you know used again uh but yeah i i think that if you're a fan of nolan uh of some of the newer films you got to go back and see this one because Mm -hmm. you know i love batman i love the dark knight i love tenet i love inception but this is one of his best films i really think that and so you know, he proves that he doesn't necessarily need the giant spectacle to tell a really interesting and surprising and fun to watch story. Mm-hmm. It's a stepping stone. Everything just gets a little bit bigger, a little bit bigger. But again, going back to the of memento, insomnia, prestige, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot to be said, even to some extent, you know, Dunkirk has a bigger thing, but that, that's, that's grounded in a historical event. So there's only so far he can go with that. Yeah. Yeah. He does a lot of really interesting stuff with time and, you know, the anxiety of running mm-hmm. out of time, but it, it is different from this one that he has more yeah. free reign to kind of go crazy with it for sure. Yeah. Um, well, Chris, thank you so much for coming back on the show. I always appreciate having you on so much really enjoy our conversations about film i always feel like i learned something when we talk um where can people find you yeah no thank you it's, it's, the feeling is mutual as always i always appreciate uh when i uh, i say hey can i come back and talk about this you're I'm like let me clear you're my schedule willing to do. <laughs> <laughs> not no, not really it, guys don't worry i don't like blow anybody it, else off no 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 i, I, <laughs> but I, I do make happy. sure i make uh, the time <laughs> yeah 
no and, and again i'm about to start scheduling you to come back on world's finest yes. but uh but yeah you can get me back into can, uh, reading <laughs> yes to, i've yes. been reading a lot of books you know but i'm mm-hmm. ready to read comics again so yes that's that see there we go spring it on but yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Chris Balga. Uh, again, two shows, World's Finest True Believers and Marvel Alliance. You can find those both on the Geek Ultimate Alliance feed on any podcast or choice. Just search Geek Ultimate Alliance and you'll find them there. And uh, but yeah, no, thank you so, so, so much for um, for having me on. I, I look forward to it. Look forward to uh, every time and what the next time will be. Me too.